Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. This week, I am joined by Sophie Smith. Sophie is a recovered eating disorder advocate and uses her experience to raise awareness. Sophie is currently completing a master's degree in social work and is training with the Carolyn Costin Institute to become an eating disorder recovery coach. Sophie is a speaker with the Butterfly Foundation in Australia and joins us today to discuss her personal experience, how this has shaped her career journey and the impact of diet and wellness culture on eating disorders. Hello, Sophie. Hi, so nice to be here. It's amazing. I think this is the furthest we've ever done a podcast. So really, really oh, wow. yeah, I think you're the, I think I'm trying to think if I've done I've done other countries, I think, but I don't think we've gone quite as far as Australia. So that's very exciting. Well, that is exciting. <laughs> um so I wanted to, I guess, start today. Um, we're talking about OSFED. So um, I guess before we go into your personal experience, would you be able to explain to the listeners what OSFED means? Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of people don't even know about OSFED mm-hmm. because it's just it's not at all really covered, I think, in, in media and conversations. And I think a bit of that is just because it's like a weird acronym diagnostic category that people forget about. But yeah, it basically replaces the old category that used to be EDNOS. Um, so in that was in the previous DSM. So in the DSM-5, it's called OSFED, which stands for Other Specified Feeding or Eating Disorder, which again, doesn't sound particularly like, I don't know, it just it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Um, but basically, it's a, it's a catch-all kind of category for people who don't meet the full criteria for other eating disorders. Um, so that might be, you know, they aren't, you know, technically underweight enough for a diagnosis of anorexia. Um, it might be that, you know, their um, binge eating isn't frequent enough for like a diagnosis of binge eating disorder. So it might be sort of like a sub-threshold kind of presentation, but... I think the main point to note about OSFED is that it it is just as serious or it can be just as serious as any other eating disorder. You know, just because it's this like kind of blurry category, it doesn't mean it's like, I don't know, like the least serious one or it's not as serious. Um, I think people can forget that, but it's actually very common as well. Um, It's actually one of the most uh, prevalent eating disorders. I think there was a survey here in Australia um, a while back now, but it actually found that about almost 40% of eating disorders are this more kind of other category so it's actually very common um uh yeah so I hope that kind of provides a bit of an overview yeah absolutely I think you're so right in terms of you know one it may be not being as known about um you know I think we've we've kind of heard of you know the the the, I guess the three eating disorders, if you want to say like anorexia, yeah. binge eating, but but things, you know, like ARFID and OSFED and, and things like that, I guess aren't spoken about as much. I think it's definitely becoming more um, common. And, you know, you're, I think you're right in saying, I think it is the most uh, common eating disorder. And to me, that makes sense because, you know, if it's covering kind of all bases bar those yeah 
for eating yeah. disorders it, it kind of makes sense they'd be the um be the most common and um my personal experience I I was diagnosed with OSFED because I had atypical anorexia um I know that um kind of you struggled with orthorexia but that was kind of put under the OSFED category um so I wondered if you kind of wanted to explain your experience a bit and and how it felt receiving that OSFED diagnosis knowing kind of you knowing full well that it was orthorexia yeah so I guess I'll talk a little bit about perhaps my eating sort of development and what it was like Mm -hmm. and then move into that other question so I guess briefly my uh, eating disorder lasted for about um, four and a half years before I got help. Um, and to be honest, during those four and a half years, I didn't know I had an eating disorder. So it went like fully undetected um, for a while because uh, I guess for a number of reasons. Number one, like I, you know, could only see the benefits of what I was doing. Um, I guess also a lot of the behaviors were very socially acceptable. Um, because, you know, striving for health and wellness and healthy eating is seen as very, um, I don't know, like something something good and something that people look up to. Um, so, yeah, because it didn't raise any red flags in my family um, or anything like that, it went unnoticed for a long time. But basically what contributed to me getting an eating disorder was a number of factors. Um, I was 15 at the time, and I guess it was a combination of my personality being that very like high achieving perfectionistic, you know, personality type that often is, is prone to eating disorders. Um, I also did uh, dance growing up, specifically ballet. So we also know that to make people vulnerable. Um, and at the time I didn't really attribute that specifically, but I think there was a particular experience um, the year before I developed my eating disorder where my sister and I were at a very like elite dance school for a bit, which we were just trying out to see if we liked it at a more elite level. And basically we had an experience where we were having some costume fittings for a concert um, and they were just kind of pre-made costumes that they sort of kept and recycled um, and we didn't fit into them. So that kind of immediately, I think, sparked in me a sense that I was too big um to either do ballet at an elite level and eventually we did drop out of that school because we weren't enjoying it um and just a sense that yeah my body was too big or was you know like and I was never you know really in in a a large body at all growing up but um that certainly didn't help um and then another big precipitating factor was uh this like not really policy but I guess um practice that we had at my school Um, which was like a private girls school so there's that as well but um, when we were in high school from year seven to year 10 we had to weigh ourselves um, twice a year I think it was as part of our fitness testing supposedly Um, and through that I noticed that my weight was increasing and um, I wasn't getting any taller I like literally haven't grown since I was about 13 Um, and because of that I was yeah I kind of suddenly worried that I was gonna get like overweight and you know everyone assumes that being like overweight is unhealthy um and so that was the only way that I was ever exposed to like the actual number of how much I weighed um and yeah it was basically that that really I think was the kind of triggering event for me and I basically started trying to lose a bit of weight and it was initially quite harmless I think I mean I thought it was just sort of getting healthy and you know making lifestyle changes but with my personality it honestly really quickly spiraled from you know swapping out a couple of foods here and there doing a bit more exercise to 
you know, becoming really anxious if I didn't do a certain amount of exercise in a day or, you know, I suddenly had all these like food rules. And so, yeah, I think it was only a matter of months really that it quickly spiraled into an eating disorder, but nobody knew it was an eating disorder at the time. Um, Sometimes throughout high school, my weight loss, because I did end up losing a substantial amount of weight and, you know, like I think often happens with eating disorders. I said I was going to get to a certain point and being this high achieving person, that was never enough. It was what's the next number I can get down to? What's the next number? Um, But I was very sneaky in that. I knew that if I got down to a certain weight, it would raise like alarm bells because I would be in that like underweight BMI category. So I was like, I'll just keep it at like a level that won't raise any concern, but that I'm happy with. Um, So I was like very sneaky in that. I, you know, I didn't want anyone to, yeah, suspect anything, I guess. Um, And so, yeah, it continued on for, like I said, about four and a half years. And throughout that time, there were even some red flags, but it was never connected to my relationship with food. Or I don't think relationship with food was even, you know, a term I'd come across. But essentially, I, when I was 16, so about a year and a half into my eating disorder, I was diagnosed with a chronic health condition, um, inflammatory bowel disease, which at the time, nobody connected to having an eating disorder, but I'll never know for sure, but I I suspect was definitely triggered by the amount of stress I was putting on myself because it's an autoimmune condition, which I think are often brought on by a lot of stress. So um, also the fact that I'm an identical twin and my twin sister does not have it um, or an eating disorder really kind of makes me think it probably was that. Um, So there was that kind of health red flag, but, you know, my gastroenterologist never inquired about, you know, she would ask me what I was eating, but I'd always just you know, I'd frame it in a way that really made it seem like I was eating enough. And from the outside, I don't think anyone would have ever expected that I was, I had an eating disorder. You know, if I did a food diary, I don't think anyone would have, you know, particularly thought, oh, this isn't enough food for a person to be eating. But clearly for me, it was because it was resulting in weight loss or, you know, a weight that I could only really maintain through that amount of kind of rules and and restriction and my life being very confined um another thing that happened was I yeah I lost my period when I was 18 um I kind of had a bit of a health scare with my chronic health condition and then I came off the pill which I was on um which again you know it's it's I've only learned now that actually you know saying oh I still have my period but I'm on the pill is like wrong because that's essentially giving you a period so I don't think really there was any awareness of that but yeah I came off the pill and I didn't get my period so that clearly was a massive red flag that I was under my kind of set point weight but again I went to I actually went to a GP and she was literally just like just wait it'll come back might be three years but it'll come back um and I think not having it for a while also then contributed to down the line I actually got a stress fracture this was even when I was in recovery but you know we all know that that lack of hormones can contribute to like bone density problems so yeah like it's it's funny because I look back now and there was so many things like those are just a couple of things like my hair also got a bit thinner and my nails also got a bit wrecked one year but they were just they were never like questioned in any way that related to an eating disorder it was always just each issue was dealt with in isolation so yeah because of that there I was going along doing everything for like four and a half years um I think also a lot of the stigma probably played into it because I thought, you know, I'm not underweight. I can't have a restrictive eating disorder. I can't have anorexia because I'm, you know, I'm BMI healthy supposedly. Um, and so I think that also contributed because it was just never really a thought in my mind until 
towards the end of my journey when I was like yeah maybe something's wrong so I think you know what you said about the the way in at school we have that in the UK as well and I have distinct memories of sort of lining up in a queue and nobody told anybody what your weight was going to be but there was that comparison in yourself because numbers as kids fly around anyway um and and that's always made me think you know there must have been something there before that because that that anxiety of you know being weighed and being terrified of what the number aged 10 years old um is just kind of not something maybe you'd expect if if somebody had a healthy relationship with the body and kind of was comfortable in you know in their skin um and you know what you said about IBD and stuff like that and I, I think that really this it's not it's not known that there's not enough information about it but there's so many people that um you know maybe not IBD but especially IBS you know in recovery from an eating disorder that yeah. that comes up a lot um one thing I did want to ask you which um we've not had a twin on the podcast before so that's why I want to ask you because it's quite exciting but you said your your twin sister didn't have an eating disorder and obviously you've I'm assuming been raised in very similar environments it sounded like you went to dance school and stuff together is there something that like shouts out to you that's different you know like your characteristics or something that that you think potentially obviously you can't say for certain but potentially could have meant that you developed an eating disorder and your your twin didn't a really interesting question and one that I honestly don't have an answer to massively I think we are honestly like kind of as identical as identical twins can get like we are pretty much inseparable we are very similar we have the same tastes pretty much in food um tv shows music um and our personality is very very similar so when I'm thinking about it I do I've wondered you know I've wondered since being recovered and in recovery what why was it me why if she perhaps noticed the same thing like she was doing the weighing she was noticing her weight increasing why did it not bother her and it bothered me so much and I'm not entirely sure I think there was a number of other things around the development of my eating disorder um, that just happened to me personally so it could have been something like that that just kind of tipped me over the edge um, in terms of I had a really good friend uh through kind of year eight and nine and then um she moved away and it was like kind of the best friendship I'd ever had and I think that kind of made me feel quite alone and a little not like depressed but you know sad um and I also had one of my I had a tutor so like a form tutor kind of thing who also left and I felt like she was a teacher who really understood me really got me as a person and again having her kind of leave and I think she actually had to go away on some kind of health leave again sort of just maybe contributed to me feeling a bit alone and like I don't know needing something to make me special I think people have asked me before you know did you like get an eating disorder as a way of differentiating yourself because it's an interesting thing because as an identical twin you know we were constantly seen together you know we were known as the twins in our year and that was it was very hard it's very hard to sort of develop an individual identity when you're constantly lumped together with another person which it's not a bad thing at all like I love that but um you know also we are physically exactly the same you know we were the same size so I think people have wondered you know or did you do it to like you know to make you there's something different about you like if you're the smaller twin like you'd stand out and it's a really interesting hypothesis um I don't think it really played into it um but I'd be lying if I didn't say 
it perhaps did give me a bit of a sense of superiority like over my sister in a you know like I look back now and I'm like oh that's quite messed up but you know um eating disorders often do have and I think for me did come with this you know this sense of especially orthorexia you know I'm eating clean I'm perfect I'm better than everyone else kind of attitude so perhaps that played into it but yeah I honestly don't really know I think it's something I'll never know but I'm also I'm very glad that my sister didn't also have an eating disorder because she was so helpful to me in recovery and I think was one of the like key people who helped me and I'm not sure if I even would have been able to recover without her and her support and everything so yeah I'm very glad that she didn't develop one as well. Yeah and that's really interesting I, I just wanted to ask kind of see if you had any inclination because I know that there is um there's been some research like genetic studies and stuff to show that um sometimes if if there are twins and they both develop an eating disorder so it's interesting to hear that um you didn't as well which I think it almost just kind of builds that picture that there are so many different factors that contribute to an eating disorder it's not necessarily just genetics it's not necessarily just your upbringing it's it's so many things tied together and you know even being in exactly the same environment kind of didn't mean uh, and with, with a similar personality so I mean I guess it just makes uh understanding the cause of an eating disorder even more difficult but I think yeah. um yeah it's really interesting to explore um so I guess just going back to your kind of experience of of receiving the diagnosis how did that come about um yeah so basically I was in uh second year of uni in um, 2017 um so I was 19 by that point and essentially throughout that year I basically I'd moved out of home when I was 17 so I moved from Perth to Canberra in Australia that's the capital city if you don't know um <laughs> and Sydney um for university with my siblings but away from my parents um so I basically just noticed a kind of number of like I guess for me distressing things that were happening that year in terms of my like relationship with food so I I don't know I think I'd attempted to kind of relax some of my food rules a bit when my parents expressed a, I mean not concerned but like a bit of oh you know just relaxed you know what we're eating a little bit like try and you know when we go out to dinner try and like have you know a burger or something that I wouldn't usually have you know wouldn't let myself have but I think that was just really hard for me um but I ended up going on a specific holiday and there was a number of times that year where I just I started to feel quite out of control around food um which having a restrictive eating disorder was just like not okay with me um I think I had quite a lot of that like last supper mentality they call it or you know kind of fuck it I'll just you know eat everything once I've broken one rule so I had a couple of those experiences one like on a holiday with my family I I told myself oh this holiday I'll you know I will eat whatever I want but that really was just like taken to the extreme where I was just constantly kind of not constantly eating but I do remember that that holiday I was like I was barely ever hungry because I was just kind of like trying to get in all the good stuff that I never let myself have while I could because I knew when I was going home I would not allow myself that stuff again so there was yeah basically that and a, a few occasions similar to that um where I started to notice yeah this kind of is not like okay with me this doesn't really feel good um and then the process of kind of coming to a realization where I was like yeah I need to like do something about this was very interesting kind of just one instant where I was 
coming back um, from a holiday with my mum and my sister. And I, I generally still remember it to this day. I was sitting on the plane because we were flying back from, from Melbourne to Sydney. And I just, I remember thinking like, is my life going to be like this forever? Like, I just felt like there were so many restrictions on what I could do. You know, I, I was anxious whenever I was, you know, meant to be eating out. I, you know, I restricted my social interaction because it was around food and I didn't want to go. Or just, I felt like I had to be so on guard all the time, so vigilant of, of everything and resisting food. Um, and, you know, I was weighing myself frequently and I was, you know, doing exercise that I didn't really want to do that I just thought I had to do because, you know, you are meant to kind of thing. Um, I didn't really have any regard for what I actually wanted to do. I was so driven by external rules you know I was drinking green tea every day and I was meditating and, and kind of other you know wellnessy stuff which really fits with the whole orthorexia piece but I uh, yeah I was sitting there I was, I was thinking is this is everyone else doing this firstly I, I think I thought that kind of everyone else was living like this you know this is what healthy living is like you know this is eating healthy everyone restricts their food and doesn't eat certain stuff and has you know you know exercises but yeah, I think for me, it just had gone quite exhausting. I was just kind of like, I just, I'm over it, frankly. Like, I just don't really want to live like this. So I reached out to actually, very luckily, my sister was doing a course um, on nutrition uh, at uni. She wasn't studying nutrition. It was just kind of an elective. And the, like, kind of head lecturer happened to be a nutritionist with lived experience of bulimia which was incredibly lucky and she also happened to like see kind of clients for counseling so I went to see her and um yeah she she saw me and I didn't really see her for, for long after that but she kind of raised in me the prospect of having some more kind of underlying like mental health issues and I was I was quite defensive to be honest I was quite like I don't have mental health issues like I'm fine like I'm, I'm normal or whatever um but yeah, she suggested that I go see a psychologist. So I went to see a psychologist. Um, this was in November of 2017. And yeah, I went to the initial appointment and uh, yeah, she assessed me and everything. And she, she didn't after that appointment explicitly say, you have an eating disorder. I actually, I still have a record of the email. I actually had to email her a couple of days later and be like, do I, do I actually have an eating disorder? Like, cause like, you haven't actually told me yet. But she was like, yes. Um, and so that, that's kind of how it happened. And she kind of explained the whole OzFed category to me. And yeah, I think I was slightly in disbelief. I kind of thought what I was doing was no way bad enough to have an eating disorder because, you know, for so long, I thought it was just normal and what everyone was doing. But I think when I kind of, looked at my life and I you know I, I really looked at just what it was like and how I was living I I kind of think I, I that helped me realize you know that I did kind of have you know not a significant problem but you know a problem like that was big enough to to be addressed so that's yeah that's kind of how it happened um and at the time I don't think I actually had even heard of orthorexia um yeah interestingly I don't think I even like knew what it was but I don't even know when I did first encounter that term, but when I did, I was like, yes, this is definitely me because my eating disorder was, it was about quantity of food, but it was also a lot about quality because that's kind of what people generally use to kind of differentiate orthorexia and anorexia. They're like, anorexia is more about the quantity, orthorexia is more about the quality. I think for me also, it was kind of a mix of both. So it wasn't like a pure orthorexia. I, you know, I'd eat 
whatever like heaps if it was all you know clean healthy food or whatever it was kind of both but it did have a lot of you know cutting out things that society deems are quote-unquote unhealthy um and yeah I kind of my initial goal was not like weight loss for the sake of weight loss back when I was 15 it was weight loss so I make sure I was in this BMI category so I would still be healthy it was all around health um so yeah that's that's kind of how the diagnosis happened yeah I think what you've just said there is so important because we almost I don't know I understand that there needs to be categorization in eating disorders because then you know it gives someone the diagnosis and it allows somebody to have the right treatment but I think the lines are so blurred um you know like you've just said you felt maybe like a mix of anorexia and orthorexia and I think I've, I've felt this a lot about I guess sort of newer diagnosis that we might be thinking about now so things like orthorexia and muscle dysmorphia we're really beginning to like kind of make a checklist of symptoms you have to have and therefore you then kind of I mean you don't obviously get a diagnosis at the moment but it's almost like okay so you that's what you have um and I think we need to be quite careful but especially because like you've just shown you know you had a mix of things so then what are we going to do if somebody you know we're only basing it off the evidence what we have right now um and it, you know similar with muscle dysmorphia it's more common in men so the rhetoric now is that's like a male eating disorder and orthorexia is more about you know like you said the quality and not the quantity of the food but for some people like there might be a mixture so I think it's really important what you've just said and that there's no clear kind of lines about it and it is you know experienced differently for everybody um and you mentioned sort of like, um, you know, the the wellness community and, you know, your behaviours felt normal because, you know, that that's green tea and meditation is so healthy for you and stuff like that. And do you think that kind of diet culture and wellness culture really fed into that, but almost normalised it? Because I guess my question is, do you think it can be done in a healthy manner without... I guess being restrictive because a lot of people I know that do engage in those behaviors it is there is a restrictive practice because you're cutting out a lot of things from your diet but they just see it as healthy yeah I think I mean I think for me absolutely you know the culture and when I developed my eating disorder was quite around a a real height of wellness you know it was really like clean eating like all that kind of stuff was going on so I think that that really did contribute but in terms of you know whether whether you know certain practices can be done without being disordered like I think absolutely there's nothing wrong with with healthy eating it's just hey I think it it's quite privileged the whole wellness healthy eating thing you know like firstly you know like only about 20% of your health is actually down to individual behaviors in the first place, which, you know, now now I'm studying social work and with my interest in like that kind of more social justice level stuff, like it was a real eye opener to me. I was like, well, what was I doing then? You know, I was a privileged, financially well-off person, you know, what was I, you know, so I was micromanaging like 20% of my overall health, like, you know, and ironically for me, it actually made my health worse, not better, but we'll get into that. But yeah, so I think, a, it's it's just such a I don't know like a privileged position to be able to prioritize you know quote unquote healthy eating like there's so many people who 
you know, suffer from food insecurity and, you know, and are in poverty. And just, I think, yeah, there's, there's that piece, but, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with getting, with doing exercise and with healthy eating. I think it all comes down to why you're doing it, you know, mm-hmm. um, the intention behind it. Um, are you doing it for you? Are you doing it because someone's told you to, you know, like for me, a lot of the stuff I was doing was because, I was, you know, there were so many shoulds in my life, you know, like I should be doing this. Um, and I didn't really, you know, I hated the taste of green tea. I drink it now. And I'm like, oh my God, how did I <laughs> suffer through this for like four years? But it was, I was so compelled to do what I thought I should be doing. Um, and so I think it's really just taking a look at those practices and, and asking yourself, hey, am I doing this because I genuinely enjoy it? You know, like, you know, there's some, there's some healthy, you know, foods like fruit and vegetables that I genuinely like and I would eat, but there's some that I dislike. And so I'm not going to force myself to have them, you know, because it's important to also enjoy what you're eating. And that whole pleasure side of eating is also like really, really important. Um, you know, there's no point eating healthy, nutritious, really superfoods or whatever, if you hate the taste and, you know, mentally you're like, ew, this is disgusting. So <laughs> I think, yeah, it's asking yourself if you're actually enjoying it and also, I think also asking what would happen if you didn't do it. Um, that's a really big one. Like, would you feel really guilty and like, you have to, you know, you miss an exercise session. Would you just be like, Oh, cool. Okay. I'll just, you know, didn't really have time today. I'll just, you know, do it tomorrow. Um, or whenever I'm next free, or is it, Oh my gosh, I'm such a bad person. You know, like this is going to make me gain weight. Uh, I'm bad. You know, I'm not being healthy. Um, and the subsequent kind of anxiety and stress that comes from that, because, you know, a lot of the time, my, my rules, especially in my practices were just causing me a lot of stress and anxiety, which is a massive contributor to poor health, you know, stress, like I mentioned before, in terms of the chronic illness and stuff. So I think, yeah, you know, these things can, of course, be perfectly fine. And I think, especially if you don't have those underlying traits as well, you know, if you want to eat plant-based or whatever, then, go ahead you know I'm sure it's brilliant you know for the environment and and might be good for your health as well but you know for me I know now like I could never eat in such a restrictive way because it's would probably be a very slippery slope for me just because I have that underlying you know like black and white thinking take everything to an extreme so yeah I think it's just it's looking at each person and and thinking like is this good for that one person Mm. yeah absolutely I I think you've you've knocked the nail on the head there in in terms of speaking about what happens when you're not able to engage in those behaviors you know if you're doing something and in day-to-day life it it fits um but you you go into a situation and and it doesn't fit you know how does that make you feel is it you are just able to kind of engage yourself anyway or is there a lot of anxiety with that um and I think you're right you know the behaviors can be they can be perfectly healthy and I guess that's where it becomes then difficult in understanding if somebody has an issue or um needs support because you know if if you're engaging in the behaviors and don't realize the impact they're having on you because I think often there can be quite a lot of denial I guess that then poses the question of how how do we intervene and support somebody if the behaviors themselves are you know you know could be potentially healthy behaviors and the individual doesn't recognize that there's a problem how how do you think we go about I guess is it you have to wait until the person recognizes they're an issue or do you think that there's other things we can sort of look out for I know you mentioned at the start you had a few like more physical issues but I guess that was quite far down the line Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's hard. I think because there often is so much denial and protection of the eating disorder involved. Like for me, if someone had come in and questioned what I was doing two years down the line and, you know, taken me to a psychologist who specialized in eating disorders, I would have been so defensive. I would have been, you know, I would have been all protecting what I was doing, saying I was enjoying what I was doing, even when I wasn't, you know, I'd be lying. Um, and so I think it, it's tricky because, you know, often it, for me, like talking from my experience, it took me having to go through that and having to experience the, the, the distressing stuff um, that like I personally was not okay with for me to come to that realization and then be self-motivated enough to, you know, to recognize that my relationship with food was, was not, you know, it was not really healthy or was disordered in some way and then be, you know, be open to receiving help and then treatment. So I think it is hard. I think, you know, I think it's, it's potentially just, you know, gently inquiring with someone, like I was saying before about how they really feel about what they're, they're doing. Um, you know, if they're engaging in a certain diet lifestyle kind of thing, it's asking, Oh, you know, where did you get the idea to do that from? You know, how do you, how do you feel about doing that particular, you know, protocol, or even if it's just general healthy behaviors, you know, and, and asking them, you know, if that really aligns with, you know, how they want to live and is that, you know, preventing them from doing anything at the moment that they want to do, you know, like socializing or is it interfering in any way? Um, there's nothing we can really do if, if someone is just going to outright lie to us, you know, like there, there isn't really anything we can do about that. But I think just being curious and open with someone about it um, and not conveying any kind of judgment around that you think, you know, that you think there's specifically an issue or you think what they're doing is wrong. Um, you know, someone's always going to be way more defensive if you're coming at it from a very like critical, what are you doing to yourself kind of, you know, perspective. So I think that's, yeah, it's a tricky one, but I think that can, can help. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. And I think sometimes um, if if we do kind of set out to help someone because we're worried about them, we can want to kind of have the answer and sort it out there and then. But sometimes I think just planting the seed of, you know, you're there and, you know, you're you're a little bit concerned um, and, and when they're ready to talk you know you you're there to listen um I think that can often be a better approach rather than kind of sitting someone down and saying you're doing this that and the other and I'm really worried about you and you need to stop because um we spoke about this on um a couple of podcasts ago but you know an eating disorder does have a purpose and you can't just kind of remove that from somebody and expect them to be okay because it is serving a purpose so I guess you need to sort of implement other things um I wanted to kind of, I guess, talking about your personal experience, go into how that has shaped your kind of career now and what you're kind of training to do. Um, so you, I mentioned in the start that you want to become a recovery coach uh, and you do a lot of advocacy work. So how has your experience shaped kind of, I guess, your motivation for that? Yeah, I think honestly everything that I do now and the way my career path is going happened so like accidentally in a way like it wasn't something I intended on doing but it just sort of happened like quite like naturally yeah I sort of was it about two years into recovery and by that point it was mostly recovered when I kind of stumbled into advocacy first there was like some consultations happening here in Australia for a big project um that's I think has actually finally kind of like being kind of published openly but it was like a research 
and translation strategy for eating disorders um, with like the main research institute for eating disorders that we have. Um, and yeah, I, I don't even know how I found out about that, but I went to consultations for that. And then that kind of just led down getting more involved in that like kind of institute research organization. And then I think I just enjoyed it. And I enjoyed people like valuing my voice and my opinion. Like I was only like 21 at the time. So, I mean, I have had that and I still have like quite a lot of, you know, imposter syndrome. Am I like meant to be here kind of thing, but just having, I think my, my contributions valued and people appreciating lived experience just, uh, just sparked something in me where I was like, this just, this feels right. And this feels like it just gave me a lot of, yeah, meaning and purpose. And like, I'd, you know, I don't really believe the whole, like everything happens for a reason, but it, it made me think that, you know, like I could at least get a silver lining out of my experience um, and turn it into something for good. So yeah, basically I started sort of doing advocacy and then um, I kind of inquired with the Butterfly Foundation, which is the national charity here in Australia for eating disorders. Um, yeah, and I sort of just got in contact with them and sort of things just happened quite naturally in terms of becoming now a speaker with them and doing some work with them. And yeah, in terms of the career path side of things, um, I was kind of locked into my undergrad degree. So I wanted to finish that first, which was not at all, you know, related to eating disorders in any way. Well, maybe half of it could have been because I, I studied neuroscience um, mm. and international relations, which was like a double degree, which at the time I was just studying because those were two things I was really interested in. Um, and I wasn't really like thinking about where I was going to go career wise. But yeah, in terms of like actually now wanting to work in eating disorders, I think it's just it's just it's the main thing that I'm interested in and I'm passionate about. And it's something that I want to learn more about and I want to help people um, and I kind of, through my recovery, I I think a substantial amount of my recovery was just educating myself. Like that sounds a bit weird, but I didn't actually have any like specific CBTE or like specific kind of course of treatment. Like I saw my psychologist and I saw a dietitian, but um, a lot of it was just me kind of learning about eating disorders, why I got mine, and then specifically more about health every size and intuitive eating, um, which were two like very important important parts of my recovery but yeah then coming kind of into the career path I sort of had this background and knowing a lot about eating disorders and I was kind of like well I might as well use it in a way like I might as well go into an area where I'm super interested in super passionate about um and have some prior knowledge so now studying my my social work master's was also a product kind of of the pandemic because I graduated from my undergrad um and it was like the middle of the pandemic in 2020 and I was thinking of so many different directions to go. Like I could have done anything. I was considering like literally everything from nursing, medicine, like OT, like dietetics, everything. But I think social work just really aligned with my my values of, of social justice. And I happened to find a master's program that was all online, um, which was very helpful during, you know, the height of the pandemic. And so, yeah, it was, you know, if you told me when I was 15, oh, you're going to go and study social work, I would have been like, no way no I'm not um but yeah it's worked out really well and I'm I'm really enjoy it and now studying social work allows me to potentially yeah work in in eating disorders as a social worker um and then with the recovery coaching side of things 
I specifically kind of fell into that because of a specific person that kind of I was engaging with through my recovery, which was um, the Butterfly Foundation's ambassador. Um, her name's Mia Finley, and she has a YouTube channel. And I watched like all her videos pretty much throughout my recovery, and it was so helpful. Um, she's amazing. She's always so articulate about what she talks about. She does like good response videos. And I heard about her becoming a recovery coach through the Carolyn Coston Institute. And it was sort of always in the back of my mind, but I think the explicit focus on being able to use your experience and, and kind of self-disclosure in a, in a safe way really appealed to me because um, I had a specific experience um, with social work. I was on my first placement and I was basically kind of told that I wasn't allowed. I was at a hospital and my placement was kind of half sort of normal social work and then a bit of eating disorder stuff. Um, and I had this experience where I was with a, a client, an eating disorder client, and I basically kind of just went out and talked about my personal experience. I admit, you know, I was inexperienced. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was, I would, I was not doing it in an unsafe way at all. I was basically just, you know, saying that I had previously had an eating disorder, but my supervisors just reacted in quite a negative way to it. Um, and for the first time since being recovered, I, I felt ashamed, honestly, like I felt like ashamed of what I'd gone through. And I was like, I shouldn't be made to feel this way. Like I was just, it was a really bad experience, honestly. I was kind of like, you know, I was working in this eating disorder team and no one there knew that I myself had recovered from an eating disorder. And so it just felt inauthentic to me having to keep my personal experience hidden. Um, and authenticity has, been, has come to be something that I just, I really value in life in general. Um, and so with the recovery coaching, it just kind of, was this natural like well I just I want to be like you know in a role in addition to you know being more like a, a clinician that actually explicitly you know people are going to know and I'm not going to have to like hide this part of myself and it's explicitly about people who've you know who've been through the eating disorder and come out the other side being able to help other people and use their experience um for good and like not have to hide it or feel at all ashamed about it so that's kind of how yeah that that came about so yeah I'm very excited to be to be getting in and helping others soon once I've once I finish my qualifications yeah and I think it's amazing like you said to be able to use your kind of personal experience um and you know I, I'm in a very similar situation in terms of kind of having been through an eating disorder and now wanting to raise awareness and and really help other people um using your own experience um and I think there's a lot to be said about having lived experience I think it gives you like another kind of level of kind of empathy um to understand you know you're never going to know specifically what somebody's going through but you can kind of empathize with them so it's really great that you're in a position where that kind of feels like something you can do um I just wondered, I just wanted to ask um, before we go on to the questions from the listeners of how does the social work tie into that for you? As in like how it ties into eating disorders specifically mm. or just? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, social work is a very broad field. Um, there's so many different areas you can go into. Um, mm. So, you know, in our like master's degree, there's there's courses on all kinds of things from like mental health to trauma it's quite a lot of focus on that because generally the, the clients that you work with are often you know very disadvantaged and might have mm -hmm. had a trauma experiences um 
bit of focus on like child protection but being a social worker is yeah it's a very broad profession so in Australia specifically we have a kind of sub uh, accreditation where you can become like an accredited mental health social worker so when you're accredited as a mental health social worker it's very similar to being a psychologist so you can administer CBT and all kinds of psychological therapies and so yeah it's it's very similar to that um so I'm actually about to go on placement um my last placement at an Eden Sorters clinic where they've never had a social work student before um because they were psychologists but it's very similar um Mm -hmm. and yeah I'm currently actually having to read the the manual for CBTE um but yeah so it's it's very similar to psychology when you kind of work in in mental health as a social worker I mean we do have a, a broader focus as well in terms of social work being which is what I like about it like psychology is quite individualistic um whereas in social work we look more broadly at like systemic level factors in terms of you know things like your identity and your sexuality and you know your race and is there you know other contributors here to, to your health or your mental health or your situation um and kind of I kind of like how it's more holistic in that sense um so yeah that's kind of like what I hope to be doing um as a social worker I'm not entirely sure like where or you know what my my profession like my career is going to look like but um yeah I'm really excited because there's there's not actually a lot of social workers who work in eating disorders either right. um I, I think I went to an event recently where it was with the social work body here in Australia and they were basically saying yeah we don't have enough social workers working in eating disorders so I think it's it's kind of nice to know that we're going to be valued because there's not that many social workers working in this field so so yeah I'm very very excited to to get on and and become a social worker. Yeah that's awesome I think um I think it you know like you said the attributes that you will develop as a social worker I think they'll be so useful in eating disorders and I really liked what you were saying about um sort of that holistic approach so you know thinking about things like race and and gender and sexuality because I think one really important thing in recovery is sort of develop you know understanding who you are um and and your identity and who you are away from that eating disorder um and that actually leads me quite nicely on to the, the first question that I have from the listener um and I think it's always a question that I guess it's a question I've been asked several times um and I think it's kind of always an interesting question to ask somebody that does have lived experience um I guess kind of the premise of the question is how did you know that you were ready to work in eating disorders and sort of know that it your identity hadn't gone from having an eating disorder to sort of being in recovery or being recovered from an eating disorder so kind of keeping that eating disorder alive or 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 not I guess is the question if that makes sense I've really worded that really badly but it's quite a big question (laughs) but basically how do you know like that your kind of working in eating disorders is not keeping the eating disorder alive yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, and I think for me, I guess it, it comes from just like a, a knowing in yourself that you are recovered and no one can ever tell you, you know, you are recovered because no one knows what's going on inside your head. And, you know, eating disorders are fundamentally, you know, mental illnesses, psychological issues. So I think, yeah, it came down to I... I really only considered working in this field once I was like what I considered to be fully recovered. Um, And 
specifically with the coaching training, there is a requirement to be fully recovered for two years um, to apply. And, you know, again, I guess, how would the people accepting your application know you could just lie? But I think it's it's only really of your benefit to actually adhere to that because, uh, you know, um, Carolyn Coston, who runs the training, is very experienced and that has been her um, consistent policy with, with recovered therapists and recovered coaches. And so I think, you know, you've got to trust that, in some way that she knows what she's doing so I think yeah for me I you know I only applied to that coaching training when I was two years fully recovered um and how do I know that I'm not just like still have an eating disorder and I'm using my career to continue it like that's that's a very good question but I think it's just yeah like I said it just kind of comes down to, to knowing that I've left that part of me not I've left that part of me behind because I kind of do adhere to the philosophy that you never you know, you can't stop yourself from having those traits that contributed to your eating disorder. Like I'll always be a perfectionist. I'll always, you know, like following rules and, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, it's not, it's knowing that I would never, I would never engage in an eating disorder behavior again, because I know what it's going to do to me. And I have enough self-awareness now to know, you know, whether I'm doing something because I'll feel bad if I don't, you know, like I have developed a lot of self-awareness through recovery to know um, in myself the intentions behind things and I've just I've experienced the benefits of having a healthy relationship with food and like I said being two years fully recovered I know you know I know what it's like and I like how it is Um, and so I would just I would never go back to how it was before because you know even with the things like the the body changes and then you know perhaps you know it's more uncomfortable at least it was initially for me to you know to have gained a bit of weight and and whatever but to know that you know if I started trying to lose weight again it would just be a slippery slope and it would all kind of go downhill from there and you know what would I be losing by doing all that stuff again you know I'm being realistic and thinking what what would my life look like if I started to kind of impose these eating disorders type you know rules and restrictions again so yeah that was a very convoluted answer but I think it just comes from from knowing that you're recovered and just have have kind of like we say with with the Carolyn Carson Institute integrating that eating disorder self into your healthy or like authentic self and then just knowing that yeah that you're recovered and just the eating disorder not having any like appeal anymore mm, yeah I think you you know you've really knocked the nail on the head there in terms of the way that you know is you know um mm-hmm. and I think you know if if you think, oh, I want to kind of go down the path of working in eating disorders, I think you could genuinely say to yourself, is this, am I doing this to keep the eating disorder alive or am I doing this because I'm fully recovered because I want to help people? And instinctively, you'll know the answer. Mm. It, it's, I guess, might be yeah. difficult to be honest, but it'll be there. Um, and then the other question, um, you kind of nicely mentioned it as well there was, how and when did you know that you were fully recovered did you wake up one day and think ah I'm there it's done um we're here this is full recovery or was it something you like kind of noticed and then looked back and thought ah maybe we maybe we've done it yeah I think more the more the second option there (laughs) I think there's never going to be a day just like there's never a day when you wake up and have an eating disorder you know it's generally a, a gradual development um it's the same with with recovery that's never a, a day where you wake up and you're fully recovered or recovered however you want to 
whatever term you want to use but I think for me it was just yeah it was just noticing you know um I do remember there being some specific times where I not deliberately but it just came into my head I was like you know what I I don't think I have an eating disorder anymore like I generally just thought yeah like I kind of just eat whatever I want I kind of just exercise like what I actually want to do or I you know I'm okay with with missing or you know not exercising for like two weeks in a row um and it was just yeah it was just kind of a realization of of things that previously felt scary to me that I could just do now like I remember that you know there were, there were times where you know obviously I had certain fear foods I guess not obviously not everyone does but yeah you know like I had those kind of characteristic fearful foods that I didn't eat or you know when I was challenging them I felt anxious about doing it and just realizing that you know I can eat all those things now and I, I generally don't care and you know just noticing that all my my rules had, had gone you know around when to eat and how long I had to take to eat like there was just I had a lot of rules but yeah just noticing that those weren't really there anymore and all the things that I could do um um so yeah I think it's just a it's a gradual kind of realization um because you might also you know you might have days where you think yeah I mostly prove my eating disorder and then kind of you know something happens or the next day you know everyone's kind of recovery isn't going to be fully linear um but you know like it's a sort of a number of those realizations I think like building up over time to a point where you're you are you are, you just kind of realize it in yourself when you're like yes I am I'm recovered and you know you notice how different your life is like you can think back and remember how it was before and then there's like quite a stark you know contrast to how it is now and for me I think there was just a it sounds all very like like I don't know a bit like fluffy and everything but I think there was just a, a sense of freedom with me like I felt just like free like that's the only way I can put it like in terms of I felt like I could just do whatever I wanted um which was like, I fully recovered just before COVID. So then it was like, oh, you can't really do <laughs> whatever you want. Um, but yeah, for a period of time, it was very much like, I just, I felt like this little box I'd been trapped in, I kind of broken out of and I could, you know, I could just do whatever I wanted um, within limits, obviously. But yeah, that was just a kind of sense of freedom in my life back, um, which I think was a, was a massive indicator for me as well. Mm, yeah. Well, that sounds lovely. And it's so nice that you've been able to reach that freedom. Um, and now, you know, giving it, you know, helping other people um, and, and helping yourself, I guess, as well is super important to remember. Um, so it's been a pleasure to speak to you, Sophie, um, and to get to know you more and hear about your experience. And I, I think it's such an inspiring story to know that, you know, where you've been and, and now where you're at. So, yeah. I hope that you've enjoyed yourself and it's been lovely to chat to you. Yeah, it's been super, super lovely chatting. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.